This is Developer Stories, where we ask you why you built it, and we look behind the scenes of some of tech's passion projects and people. Welcome to the show. You're in the right place. Welcome to Developer Stories. We have a very special episode today. It is our first group interview, and joining me is not just one person, but an entire team of Hans Informatics students from Stellenbosch University. So welcome to the show, Megan Stock, Nina and Renee Rue, and Kim Martin. And not with us today is Ariana Sabroyan. She is attending a wedding, which sounds super fun. So y'all, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having So normally I do an introduction, but I thought today it could be a, a little bit of fun to flip the mic, so to speak, and have each of our guests introduce herself. If each of you would like to share who you are, your role, or if you're a student, the courses you're taking, and those you've especially enjoyed. And let's do something fun. Let's share our favorite dessert. Yo, that's going to be hard. Choosing a dessert <laughs> my favorite. <laughs> I'll jump in first. So I'm fortunately not an honors informatics student. I'm a postdoctoral researcher at Stellenbosch University, and I'm leading the effort to establish an, an RSE group at Stellenbosch which if, if successful will be the first RSE group in Africa. I think Megan will be talking about how I came into the picture. And my favorite dessert, so I'm, I'm actually in Thailand at the moment, so I would say that uh, my new discovery of authentic mango sticky rice is probably a good, pretty high up there. Okay, so I'm Megan, Megan Stock. I mean, we are probably going to repeat this quite a lot, but I guess we're all honest students at Stenbosch, and so we're all studying the same thing, informatics. And... Yeah, my, I think my role, probably the one who talks the most because I just tend to just speak, <laughs> speak my mind. And yeah, my favorite dessert, I would have to say it's probably, it's a South African thing. I don't know if, if it's really well known, but it's milk tart. So it's kind of like a custard. How can you explain? I don't even know. Kim, how would you explain milk tart? <laughs> custard tart with cinnamon. Tart. Yeah. There you are. So that would be my third, I think. <laughs> I'm Nina Roo. I'm also a student at Stanbosch University studying informatics honors. My favorite dessert is probably just chocolate, like just plain chocolate. <laughs> and then my name is Renee Roo, and I'm also a student at Stanbosch University studying informatics honors. And I'd say that my favorite dessert is ice cream. Welcome again. And you answered one of my questions. I was going to ask where the heck is Stellenbosch University, but I heard South Africa in there and that is super cool. So just to give our listeners an idea of time zones, it is morning for me and I believe it's evening over there. Yeah, it's 10 past seven, so 7 p.m. Yeah, so you are well into the weekend, I think. So let's start (laughs) off some questions. I'm curious how you all met one another. Well, I, I would say... We kind of met Kim through when we landed our actual research project um, and we heard about this this one person, this postdoc who was interested in helping us and then all of a sudden we met her this one morning um, <laughs> she like cycled to campus. We were like, wow, this is so cool. And then ever since we've been meeting up with her, you're having meetings and everything, but I would say our group members, we kind of met beginning of this year because obviously COVID had a big impact on how we were doing varsity, you know, meeting our other classmates. So I actually didn't know any of them. <laughs> and then we came into honors. And 
I was like, oh, hey, I've been doing class with you for like two years. But yeah, other than that, we yeah met through honors. Honors, and you also mentioned a project. Can you explain to our listeners like what the structure of your program looks like in terms of this honors and projects and what the requirements are? Okay, yeah. So for our honors program, we have one final or big research paper that we're supposed to complete and hand in at the end of the year. And for our research paper, our topic was to create an ontology. And that's basically what our project is about now. Uh, and this is a fantastic transition. So we're doing a new part of the show. It's called, Why Did You Build It? And during that part, we focus on something that you're making that you're passionate about. And you hit the nail on the head, of course, as you already knew when you said ontology, because today we're going to talk about the RSC ontology, which is this project that you're all collaborating on. Could you first start and tell our listeners what the heck an ontology is and why it might be useful? Basically, we've had a few interviews trying to explain what an ontology is to RSEs that we've spoken about. And I think every time we mention it, everyone's like, the look in their eyes, they are like, oh my word, what are these people talking about? But basically, you would kind of say an ontology in like low maths terms, it's almost like a database kind of, where you can query it and you can query things uh, to find out different types of things, whatever. But an ontology, it's almost like a vocabulary of words that you're kind of defining the difference between these words and the meanings between these words to a computer. So you're trying to describe what the differences and the relationships between words are to a computer, if that makes any sense. Let's think of a, a simple term. So let's say that I have an ice cream ontology. I might have different entities in that ontology. I might say, okay, there's a flavor, there is a specific kind of ice cream, there is a topping, and then I have maybe relationships between those things. So I might say, okay, pumpkin pie ice cream is a kind of, I don't know, holiday ice cream. Or I think when I think about ontology, would it be correct to say that it's a dictionary? So sort of very concrete things, concrete entities, and then the relationships between them? Yeah. So almost like you can kind of think of saying for your ice cream idea, you can have ice cream sits on cone. So it kind of puts the relationship between the ice cream and the cone. And that ice cream is not a cone. And it says like things that aren't the same, then you would put like different flavors and that would all go underneath ice cream flavor. So it's kind of like object-oriented programming where you have your main class and then your subclasses, like your instances of those classes. So like you said, you would have ice cream flavor, pumpkin spice, bubble gum, I don't know, cinnamon, vanilla, and all the different flavors. And then those could either be instances of your ice cream flavor. And don't forget toppings. <laughs> yes, toppings are very important. I made that metaphor because I used to work in an ice cream shop. One of the best jobs of my life. Might go back there when I retire, not sure yet. Okay, so let's say that now I am the owner of an ice cream shop. I could use this ontology, perhaps in software in my store, to help me figure out, for example, maybe what components can go together. I guess the first question we can ask is, since we're probably talking to a bunch of software engineers, programmers, RSCs, if we want to represent these relationships, these entities in a form that a computer can understand, what are the typical ways that we do that? 
I would say, for example, if they are doing it in a text file, they can first, the first steps would be to identify your main classes. So you would identify your ice cream, your cone, your topping, and then maybe underneath the ice cream, you have to identify your ice cream flavor, your ice cream, I don't know, price, ice cream temperature, you know, <laughs> things like that. And then once you kind of have that ready, because when you're first trying to develop an ontology, you think, oh, it's easy, easy, but no, it actually gets quite difficult. I would say what we are doing it in, we're doing it on this, this software called Protege. It's a very fancy version. <laughs> the file type, it uses RDF, and you can listen to XML or OWL, like .owl. But like obviously beginner, I mean, that's how we started out. We learned with Protege doing a, a .owl file. So that's awesome. And we will put links to Protege and some of these different kinds of data types in the show notes for any interested listeners. So now that we've talked a little bit about this, you know, high level idea of an ontology, can you tell us how you came upon the idea to make specifically an ontology for research software engineering? It's basically a professor that runs this some courses in this, this honors informatics program whose expertise is ontology design. She approached me because we'd talked about some other things and she'd approached me asking if I had any ideas for a project for some a team of honors students. And it kind of just uh, jumped out at me that, so I, I'm still very much, you know, in the, the early stages of learning what ontologies are and what they can do. So I kind of look over the students' shoulders at, at them dancing through Protégé and it's very cool and very impressive and I'm, I'm keen to learn more. But I'd had this sense that an ontology could be a very powerful thing. And with what I'm trying to do at Stellenbosch University with establishing an RSE group, and this group may end up looking quite different from RSE groups at, that are established at UK and, U, and US universities. There might be a lot of sort of borrowing people from different teams to do bits and pieces of projects initially. I don't know that there's going to be a standing army of RSEs like some of the big teams have. So my thinking was it would be useful to have an ontology to be able, as an operational tool, to be able to go, okay, here's a project that someone's a researcher in the university has come to me with. And they're, you know, they're looking for, you know, this language and these services, and they need this done and, and who can do it. I would hopefully be able to build up a database of people across the university that have different skills. And I was thinking an ontology would be a very natural way of, of matching people up with existing projects. So that was the initial, that was my initial thinking, but I think the thing has grown legs since then. Ah, the army of RSEs that you could imagine having at a university, send in the army, I'll take care of the CI, I'll write the containers. Can only wish. <laughs> Growing legs. On the one hand, I would be extremely terrified if one of my projects grew legs and maybe started to run at me. Can you expand a little bit upon how the project has evolved and what exactly those legs look like? So basically how it started, as Kim said, we were given an ontology as our research project. And we were like, oh, this is so cool. We know ontologies. And then we met up with our professor and she said that, again, Kim was interested in meeting us. And we were thinking, okay, it will just be a quick little chat. She's interested in just hearing what we want to do, what, what, what. Then we go and meet Kim and she just came yo, with all these, all this excitement and all these ideas. And we were like, whoa, <laughs> okay, this is a lot more than what we thought. I mean, it, it did kickstart the excitement as well. And so we were one of the groups that were going to have to work in the holidays while all of the other groups in our honors are kind of, kind of chilling, doing nothing. And now they're all stressing. But anyway, <laughs> so how it grew legs, it was just meant to be 
an ontology for Kim to use, where our thought process was going to be this platform, this tool for all the projects coming in to the RSE group. And then the RSE leader or team leader would use this, this tool as in, like, let's say, Kim, to identify the most accurate or most certified or competent RSE for that certain project, whatever. And we just thought, okay, this is, this is cool. And then obviously, because we're in the informatics department, our professor, our, our supervisor said, we have to kind of stick within the informatics domain. So we've kind of had to settle with just using AI and data science domains. And so in the beginning, we thought, oh, this is, this is okay, this is fine. And then we met with Kim and she had all these ideas. She was like, let's meet RCs and you can get more get more ideas and more what 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 we're like okay that's cool that's really scary but that's cool then we had this one week of interviews and I think we met with you that week as well I think you are last meeting and it was so cool to have this person from America that we were talking to and I was like this is so weird and it was nighttime for us morning for you and you're walking on the treadmill and I was like this I would never have thought I'd be here right now <laughs> but it was cool it was very cool um, anyway, so we're meeting with all these RSEs and they were just giving us ideas. They were like, wow, this is such a cool idea. We would definitely be keen to help and contribute. And this could be such a good tool for RSEs to use in the future. And we were getting like, whoa, that's very exciting. And then basically from there, it just, it was like a little tornado that just kept growing and like a little, you know, it just kept going faster, 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 all these ideas coming. And so we've, I don't know if we're going to touch on that a little bit later, but we've joined this program called OLS, um, Open Life Science. And basically what it's going to help us do, which reach our goal, obviously, what we're trying to end up with our ontology is to get it like community-based. And they're going to teach us how to develop this, this project and enable all different ICs, the whole community to contribute and then use it. And so anyways, so we joined that. So we've been doing that as well as honors degree, obviously. And while having to do that, so we, we don't only focus on our, on our research project. We have different blocks in the honors year. So we focus on different subjects and whatever. So there was this period where we focused on our research project and we were meeting with RSEs, building this up, building this up. And then we had a bit of a break where we had to do other subjects. And so we didn't focus too much on it during those few weeks, months, and then now we got back into it. And I feel like if you asked me a week ago, I would have been like, oh yeah, I'm kind of okay with this. There's obviously more I want to do, more I want to find. After this week, I feel like I can tell you in my sleep what this ontology is about, what we want to do with it. We got so many different resources to also look at, so many more ideas what we want to do for the future. And so it definitely has grown very tall legs probably longer than my legs and it is running around this project it is so yeah <laughs> very 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 quick and very exciting like it feels like it's coming in quick and hot <laughs> that is an amazing mindset to be in so keep out feelers for whenever you feel excited and passionate about something because to be totally frank when I was much younger and I was first introduced to different things in, in tech or software engineering I had that feeling of excitement and I found it served me well over the years just to kind of like, not like always have the perfect path toward it, but like just kind of leaning toward it and slowly going more in that direction and good things happen that way. And I also, I want to point out to our listeners, the challenge behind the problem that you're tackling. Like if you ask someone that is a research software engineer in this day and age, like 
oh, what are the different domains or things that RCs work on? Like, we don't know. There are just so many things. The space is huge. So if you're able to carve out even a small space and then kind of chip away and tackle it and figure out less so like the right answer, but more so like a method for working on it and then presenting that method to other people, that is immensely powerful. So you mentioned the Open Life Science Program, I think you called it. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? So the Open Life Science Program, it's expanded to be more than just science now. It's a program that's being run by uh, Yo Yehudi and a bunch of, of her colleagues who I should be able to name off in my sleep now. But the idea is to train researchers in open, in working openly. So it's it's things like introduction to, to using GitHub, how to get community involvement, how to plan out projects and things like that. And it runs over several, a couple of months with meetings every other week and trainings or, or discussions or, or presentations. And then there's also the people and participants are matched up with the mentor. And I've managed to finagle being the OLS mentor of, of the team, which uh, suits me fine because one of the ideas of the OLS program, one of the, the aims is to have participants who are busy developing their project also be connected with, they use it as a, a push or an excuse or a platform to uh, connect with experts who can give them input into their projects. I've sort of thought this was a fantastic opportunity for me even because I've been reaching out to RSEs over the last couple of months now, but even more so now once with the OLS program in, in full swing, I'm asking them to basically bring their expertise and meet with the, the team and talk through the what they can add kind of thing, what, they, what their suggestions are. I've been sitting in on all of these because I wanted to learn myself and it's been, it's been fantastic. It's been a really, really cool experience so far. Megan, Nina, Renee, how, how have you been finding the experience so far? Uh, it's definitely really interesting because obviously in the beginning of the year, if you mentioned GitHub to me, I would have looked like a blank face, no idea what you're talking about. But now recently, we've obviously had GitHub sessions. We obviously learn how to use GitHub. And it's just, it's really interesting to see how friendly people are and willing to help and ready to teach you, ready to contribute. It's just so interesting. And we had this introduction session with all the other groups on OLS. It's so nice to see other people in projects with that passion and that excitement to get something started. And also the fact that all these projects are open source, like for the community. It's just so, I don't know, it just makes you feel, makes your passion a little bit more, just because it just shows that people are also driving to help the community, not just like trying to make their own little thing to benefit from. That's a great observation. And GitHub is by far my favorite social network. I don't know if this is universally true, but I've noticed that people that tend to have that spirit of openness do kind of lean toward science, places where the work is open, as opposed to like, oh, I have this idea, I'm going to start a private company and make a ton of money off of it. So Kim, you have this way, it seems like you have this natural inclination to connect people. And then that combined with the OLS program provides this additional structure for connecting people. I'm wondering for Megan and Nina and Renee, maybe you don't know the answer to this yet, but what are your thoughts right now on the kind of community interactions that you might be looking for in the next couple of months, six months to a year as you work more on the project? We've already started thinking about how we want to help the project move forward and to get more community input. So we started talking about hosting focus groups and possibly a pilot survey with RSE group, but 
not sure if we can say which which group. Different ways so that we can get people to give their feedback for the ontology so we can continue building it up so that it accurately reflects the current skills and everything that RSEs are currently interested in or the skills that they currently have and the domains that they work in. When you talk to people from different countries, have you found regional differences? So maybe differences in culture or expectations or communication. And I ask that because as for this podcast, I think it's been interesting talking to people from very different places of the world, places that I've, I've of course never been. I find that I learn a lot in ways that I didn't expect. I think one thing I've noticed is obviously we're South African, we have these slang words that we tend to just use so casually. And sometimes some of the RCs, the people that we've been chatting to, they'll like they a little bit confused and a little bit silent for a bit. And then they're like, wait, can you repeat what did you say? And I'm like, what do you mean? So sometimes I guess it's just, and so we tend to speak quite fast and very, you know, yeah, <laughs> South African-ish. <laughs> and that's one thing I've noticed. Also, another thing is with regards to not like the different areas or regions, but I'd say the different fields of RSEs, there's some that some people we've spoken to are involved in big like RC groups and some aren't, like some would be involved in just one or two. So it's really cool giving the different perspectives and the different RSE groups. So for example, one person we spoke to is more on the humanities side, more of like a that side where other people are more AI or computer science based. So even just getting that type of difference of RSE perspective is very interesting. And also we spoke to someone who is focused on ontologies and then you get to speak to some RSEs who have no idea what an ontology is and then you explain it to them and they also they give you their input, even though they don't really know what we're talking about. I think we need to start using Vanessa's ice cream analogy because that, or, or example, because I think that works super well. Yeah. Yes, I tend to frame everything in terms of ice cream and, and people's ears chime in like immediately. It works really well. <laughs> so I think a really cool potential use case for this would be actually trying to understand how all these different disparate groups actually kind of compare. So if you imagine that each group is like a loose set of domains, expertise, maybe some dimension between like research and programmer. Right now, like I just have no idea. I know of different groups in the UK and in the US and Australia and actually just all over, but I don't really have an understanding of like where people lie on that domain. And one of the one of the reasons that would be important is because like you'd want to find the people that you could work together with most easily, or maybe the people that are working on the same stuff as you that you have no idea they're working on because we have no methods for that. So I think my question is, just imagine like you think into the future that you're successful with this ontology effort and you have defined kind of the space of RSC work domains in different dimensions. What would be kind of the large problems that you'd like to tackle using this ontology? One of the main use cases that we're trying to solve with the ontology is definitely the ability for the ontology to have like international use so that like like you're saying RSEs from one area can see what other RSEs in other countries are doing or the types of projects that other RSE groups are getting in or whatever. I think also when we started this project like we, we initially went in with only one use case in mind where 
you know, we just wanted to match the right RSEs to the right projects to be able to help researchers. But as we've spoken to more and more other RSE leaders and just other RSEs in general, they've been seeing so many other possible use cases for this ontology that we didn't even think about at first. And it's things like one of the, the big ones is that they see this as a potential to identify skills gaps in RSEs, which is really, really cool because it can be used as a way for if lots of projects are coming in that require a specific skill, then be used to find out which of these skills um, RSEs might not necessarily all have skills in or be able to provide assistance in. And it could also help with deciding how to train RSEs, like to find out where these skills gaps are and what they should train RSEs in to be able to help projects even more. And it can even be used to like identify trends in the types of projects that are maybe coming in where say example like one project, a couple of projects have been coming in with a similar kind of like needing a similar kind of field or similar kind of skill. And then, you know, the ontology can be used to find these trends because it will also like record the projects that RSEs are working on. Yeah, and to like predict trends, like different language, programming languages that are becoming more and more in demand. The, the mention of skills gaps did come up quite a few times. And then also for the potential of, so this is again, where I'm, I'm sort of like coming in as an ontology novice. But the idea of being able to, to use the intelligence of the ontology to identify, okay, you may not have an RSE who has that particular skill that this project seems to be calling for, but it is they have another skill that it's known to be, you know, related in some way that, that maybe if they need to reskill, it would be a shorter jump for them than for someone else, say. And then maybe also in terms of tagging um, educational resources out there. So a more natural way of being able to go, okay, look, this particular you know, tutorial is, is, is going to be able to help people in, in this area. I don't know. But yeah, there's been a, there's been a number of different use cases uh, that have been suggested over time. Also, as, as you say, the sort of national skills sharing type things that starts to get a bit more sort of big picture and exciting. Maybe when you get to a point of that you've got different RSE groups who are somehow publishing, you know, the skills that they have available, and maybe that becomes a natural way of going. Okay, well, maybe there's a collaboration that can happen, or maybe you know we're missing a skill over here. Can we borrow? Can we second one of your RSEs for for a project? There's been, I'm, I'm sure I'm missing some out, but like I say, a lot of people have been bringing in lots of different ideas like that. Yeah, I can totally imagine like an RSE clearinghouse, like go into a search interface, be like, oh, I need someone that does go and this other thing. And oh, here's the perfect RSE that's 5,000 miles away. So just curious, what are all of your favorite programming languages? I would say Python. I think that's it's always been my favorite. I mean, JavaScript, we've just been doing that one recently. And I, I think... I like Python even more now. <laughs> I definitely think Kim is going to have a favorite one definitely quite soon. But yeah, if, if she tells you why. <laughs> yeah, so I, I started out as an R programmer for my sins, uh, and I've been interested in, in taking more into a Python direction, at least for sort of non-data analysis stuff. Megan's alluding to the fact that I'm, as I'm currently sitting in Thailand, about to do a month-long C programming bootcamp. So I don't know that C is going to become my favorite language, but I think it'll be worth worth getting that under my belt. I definitely say also Python is definitely my favorite. I feel like throughout the university degree that we did, we definitely got more of an introduction or a better introduction to Python, and it just makes a lot more sense. And I feel like every time somebody tries to teach you another programming language, there was reference, like in Python this and it's like because python makes logical sense i'd say that in contrast to that despite python being taught so well to us i prefer javascript 
that's totally okay. And, you know, I think there's a great XKCD cartoon for this, where there's like a guy like flying over the thing and his friend's like, what are you doing up there? What's going on? And he's like, oh no, I just learned Python. Everything's great. <laughs> I, I also love Python. It was, I don't know if it was my first programming language, but it was one of my early ones and it just felt so easy. You all are doing all of this work. I think you mentioned this earlier during a pandemic. Can you talk about what it's like being a student in a pandemic, the challenges, maybe some of the perks, the, the silver lining in the cloud, so to speak? It definitely was. It came at the perfect time, I think, because at the beginning we had first year. Um, I just entered university. I was having such a great student life. I was meeting all these people. You know, it was so fun. And obviously work took a bit of a oopsie, like on the back, you know, <laughs> back burner. So it was cool, whatever. And then second year came and that was 2020, yeah. And then we got sent back to, obviously, so I'm from Joburg, Midrand, Gauteng. And so I'm obviously studying in Cinnabosch. I had to fly back home and had to go back and live with my parents again, which is weird. Having a year of independence <laughs> and then going back to living with your parents was it was it was hard, but I mean, yeah, anyways. <laughs> but it was nice. And I guess it was weird at the beginning because I think lecturers they did not know either. They did not know what they were doing either. And it was kind of like a learning curve for both of us. So it was very nice having that book, but otherwise it was a learning curve. It was it was hard, I'd say. And then sitting in your room, you kind of forgot. You have like those schedule because obviously at university you kind of have some lectures you go home walk to campus walk home all that stuff being at home during covid you would kind of just sit in your room sit on your chair at your desk for the whole day i'll go out of my room for breakfast go back then work then for lunch then back then for dinner and then back and then i'll be like oh it's like 12 o'clock i maybe need to go to bed you go to sleep wake up routine again so it kind of just felt like you were doing just that sitting in your room but other than that, I mean, my marks were really good. <laughs> and then we came back and... So nothing like a bit of house arrest to improve your marks, eh? I mean, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I didn't like it, but I'm a little bit grateful for it now. How did you guys find it? I think for us, there was a really, really big perk of that we were... Um, at the time of COVID, we were doing a subject that we didn't really like that much, or we grew to dis dislike it quite a bit. And throughout first year, the whole time we heard that second year practicals for this subject were very very difficult and that the practicals always killed and then when COVID came and for second year we heard um, our lecturers told us that because of COVID we can't do the practicals because we couldn't sit in, the, in a room together and do the practicals so we were very happy about that because we didn't actually like the subject that much and we didn't think we would even really cope well with the practicals as well when we heard so much horrible news about it. So sad for you guys, couldn't do practicals. Oh. Yes, let's all shed a tear of sadness for the practicals. Just kidding. <laughs> so when you look back on these past couple of years, the projects, how your life has changed, what do you think you've learned about yourself? And has this influenced any potential things you might do in the future? I would say for me, especially, I do find myself, I'm normally the person who will just speak. As you can tell from this, I'll just keep speaking a lot <laughs> and babbling on. But for me, I think in first year, obviously it was different from coming from high school. You were in your close little group and you knew everyone and that was that. Um, and then came to university and it was just new people. And obviously I kind of went back in my shell a bit. 
And then obviously we went into lockdown and we started having to do team calls and all these things. And especially now just being involved with Kim and all these interviews and things. I feel like I've gotten a lot more confident with having to look at a camera because I used to be, mm -hmm, I don't want to be in front of the camera. That's so, you know, I don't want that. But now it just feels so easy. And like, for example, I was actually quite sad with this podcast. We can't um, have our, our faces because I want to look at people and I just want to see their reactions. Um, and it's so weird speaking to, you know, people's little names on the little thing. <laughs> but yeah, otherwise, I think I've just grown, I would say, with my personal self-confidence. I think personally, I never used to really like group work. I didn't really understand the value of it or why anyone would want to work in groups. But I think especially, or at least throughout the past couple of years at university, and especially mostly this year, I've appreciated group work so much more and I prefer it now. It's like some, you know, people working together, trying to achieve the same thing at the end of the day. And it just feels so much more collaborative and it's, it's just so much nicer, I think, to have that kind of space where you're sharing what you're trying to do with everyone instead of trying to compete with everyone else in the class. And it just feels so much nicer to have people that you share something with that you're trying to do together. This has been a very interesting year for me for lots of reasons, mostly this, this RSE thing. My background is biomedical, the wet bench lab research. I've been sort of dove in headfirst to this RSE thing because it, it seems like a real fit for where I want to go with my career. The establishing a you know the beginnings of an RSE group at Stellenbosch that sort of grew out of that initial sort of personal ambition, but it's become something that's much more of a, a mission, a calling almost because it's again this this thing of I mean working with the, this team here and also engaging with other people all around this effort, it becomes very very motivating to to see where things can get better and. And how people can can work together and it has been quite a sea change for me because i say my, my background previously was very much the sort of you know you sit in your lab by yourself and you sort of pipette stuff you know <laughs> to sort of whereas uh the rsc journey has been exposing me to a lot more working with people engaging over ideas and potentially being able to build something that's quite a lot more has quite a lot more reach to it so yeah it's, it's, it's been a very interesting year for me quite special i do want to I don't know what you would say, just commend her because I don't know how she does it, but I think maybe one thing she has learned, she is probably one of the best planners I have ever met in my whole entire life. <laughs> like we have this Teams group or this Teams channel and every time we have meetings, she just creates more channels and more things and everything's in the right place. Yeah, so I'd just say if it wasn't for Kim, I don't think we would have gotten anywhere. So I do want to commend Kim on that. I do have a bit of a head start on you guys. Um, and it's, uh, let's just call it necessity as the mother of invention. That's fantastic. And that might be a mantra of RSE where you're just kind of thrown with something and you have to figure it out. And Kim, in reference to something that you said, it this just popped into my mind. I don't know if y'all watch Rick and Morty, but I'll make a quick reference here. What is my purpose? You pipette stuff. Oh my God. <laughs> I feel like there might be a couple of moments like that. So we are coming up on time. I have just a few more questions. So first, I am dying to know, can you share some of these slang words? I think the first thing you'll notice, we first start off our sentences with, um, yeah, so I think <laughs> that's what we do tend to use. And then at the end, we'll end with, um, so yeah, and <laughs> then we're done. 
And so we do tend to use Yano. That comes from Afrikaans, doesn't it? The, the yeah. Yano thing. That's an Afrikaans-derived yeah. thing, which I don't speak Afrikaans, but I think that's where it comes from. Yeah, no, me neither. But it kind of is, we're kind of saying yes, no. We're almost trying to be like, yeah, that's right, and then add our thought to it. So we're How like, about yeah, no, just, this is just now? Just now. Yeah. <laughs> just now can mean anything from like, you know, five minutes from now to like, you know, I don't know, three days. Also, shame. Shame. Oh, shame. Yeah. Oh, shame. But shame. There's different ways of using shame. Normally, if you would go to the UK, shame is like, oh, I feel pity for you. But we're like, oh, shame. That's so cool. Or <laughs> I don't know. Or, oh, shame. We were like, I don't know. And I use I don't know a lot. We do use I don't know. <laughs> I definitely wouldn't have guessed that one. I think the one term that I had growing up that is a little bit strange. I grew up in New England and we said wicked a lot. And it doesn't mean like, oh, the wicked witch or something. It's like saying, oh, that's super cool. Or, oh yeah, like wicked, kind of like an acknowledgement of coolness. <laughs> we kind of have that with the word hectic. We're like, oh, that's hectic. Oh, hectic. <laughs> that's so cool. <laughs> I have to say, I'm loving these. This should be a regular thing we do whenever different cultures meet. It's talking about the different slang words because I'm loving it. I have one more question. So when you aren't working, and I guess assuming that you're not just hanging out in your room all day and then leaving for meals, what do you like to do in your free time? I think the twins must definitely answer this question because I love their answer. I think you guys go, this is for you. Okay, well, for my sister and I, two things we really love to do in our free time is draw and rollerblade. Not the same time, surely. Rollerblade. (laughs) We've been rollerblading since we were 10 years old, so we love it and we're very, very passionate about it. Like inline skating or roller skating, but we just call it rollerblading. Not sure if there's a difference. Kim and Megan, what about you? I don't seem to have any hobbies at the moment, which might might be an indication that I'm trying to do too many things, but I like walking around. So basically there there are some traits of mine that have not changed since I was a very small child. And it doesn't matter how sort of like, you know, I'm a dignified adult now I'm trying to be. If I see like a bug or like a, like a reptile of some kind or like anything. Yeah. I, I like living things. Fungus, mushrooms are amazing. Like if I see something growing or, or crawling or slithering, I'm probably going to suddenly just dart after it and and uh, yeah, trying to persuade me not to pick things up is sometimes quite difficult. The complete, complete opposite. I do not like bugs or anything like that. <laughs> I would say I would go, if I had to choose one thing right now, I would go and do a Sudoku. I love Sudoku. I'm that person who loves maths, which is so weird, but I love it. <laughs> That's my favorite thing. Sudoku and dogs. If I see a dog, I'll chase the dog. No other insect or bug or anything. Yeah, watch out. It's not the dog that's going to be chasing Megan. It's going to be Megan that's going after the dog (laughs) with a Sudoku. Can you help me with this one? (laughs) It has been a pleasure, Megan, Nina, Renee, and Kim. It has been so much fun having you today and having our conversation. We have talked about ice cream metaphors and ontologies. And your passion really comes across for your for what you're working on. I'm looking forward to seeing how your project and community engagement develops. And Kim, I'm excited to see your group start to take shape. 
my door is always open if you want feedback or someone to talk to. So I want to thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks so much, Definitely. Melissa. Definitely want thank to say thank you. So thank you.